I'm Farah Duro, and you're listening to the PCS Revolution Podcast. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the PCS Revolution Podcast. Today, I have Lisa Johnson here, who's a registered dietitian nutritionist who specializes in PCOS and diabetes. Now, she helps women improve their hormonal health and quality of life, and she's been practicing since 2007. So she owns a private nutrition practice called Nourish Nutrition and Diabetes in Oklahoma City, and she can be found online at nourishpcos.com. So after years of seeing women struggle with cycles of overly restrictive eating, overindulgence, and guilt, Lisa's goal became to help women develop realistic and sustainable nutrition approaches. And so she uses a whole food approach that promotes hunger control and prevents cravings. And I love this approach because we talk about it so much in our podcast and in our 90-day reset course about trying to do something that you can see yourself doing when you're 80 years old. And I think that's the key. So welcome, Lisa. I'm really happy to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, great. So tell me a little bit about what made you want to work with PCOS so much. Yeah, what motivated me to specialize in PCOS and insulin resistance was that I started seeing so many women come into my office and they were either just diagnosed with PCOS or they hadn't even been diagnosed yet, but they had all the symptoms. And if they were diagnosed, sometimes their doctor just said, here, take some metformin and lose weight. And they often weren't, you know, really told that there were actions that they could take or how to lose weight that would help their improve their hormonal balance and improve their PCOS symptoms. Yes. I just wanted to, you know, help, help advocate for these women to figure out what steps they can take on their own to improve their PCOS and lose weight, but also help them figure out what to talk to their doctor about. It's definitely so needed. And, you know, we have a lot of questions that come up in our groups and uh, with our patients too, uh, in our clinic about um, this particular diet or that particular diet. So, um, and it just, you can kind of fill in the blank, whatever one is, you know, uh, the diet of the moment. Um, And I know it's so complicated because a lot of women would love to lose weight, but it seems like everything you do, it just, it doesn't move the needle. So, Um, What do you recommend when someone has been struggling with diets for a long time and they come to see you and they have a lot of questions about how to get started? What would you tell them? Well, you know, what what you mentioned earlier, um, you know, I I really try to help people find out, find approaches that they can do for the rest of their life. So we kind of, uh, you know, talk about what, what have you tried in the past? And then when you stopped following that plan, you know, whatever type of fad diet or eating pattern that you were following, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what caused you to stop following it? And usually it's, you know, something like why it was too restrictive. There were so many foods that I couldn't eat. Um, I just got to a point where I couldn't, couldn't follow that anymore. So I really try to help people figure out ways to include, um, you know, all whole foods, but find the right way to balance out their carb and protein and fat intake so that it works for their body. Right. And we definitely, um, we were in talking back and forth in the emails about um, when someone comes in who is on a vegetarian diet, which you do work with or a vegan diet, um, what is the 
best advice, I guess, um, for somebody, I always say seek the advice of a nutritionist if you are going to follow a restrictive diet, uh, because, you know, definitely the protein aspect's important and the choices are there, but they are a little more limited. So um, how, how do you recommend someone follow that if they are perhaps trying to lose weight or they have insulin resistance as well? And like, maybe if you could give us some ideas and some key proteins that you like to recommend. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're following a vegan or vegetarian diet, there's some special considerations with PCOS just because though, you know, plant-based foods, particularly grains and starchy vegetables, fruits, you know, they have some naturally occurring carbohydrates that we will need to be cautious with on portion size. And so um, we also have to make sure that you're able to get enough protein and fat. So, you know, it is possible to, to follow a you know, a well-balanced vegan or vegetarian diet while having PCOS. But I do see that it's a little bit more difficult for women to lose weight when they have PCOS. Definitely. And trying to conceive, do you have women that come to you that are trying to conceive who are following a, you know, vegetarian or vegan diet with PCOS? And have you noticed anything about you know, their cycles or any, or any observations you have with that? Yeah, you know, specifically in terms of PCOS, I've seen some women who you know, maybe we're not eating any protein for breakfast, for example. So they might, I had one woman who was having three cups of fruit for breakfast, which, you know, fruit's a whole food, but if you're eating three cups of it and you have an insulin resistant condition like PCOS, that's most likely going to cause a a huge rise in your blood sugar and your insulin levels. And then we know that, you know, that big surge of insulin, if it's an excess amount of insulin can cause testosterone production. And that's going to make trying to conceive difficult if your hormones are not well balanced. Right. And that's the most, I always say it's the most important meal of the day. Like if you don't get your breakfast right, it's like your whole day can go downhill. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it just sets you up for hunger. If you have something that doesn't have enough protein or fat in it at breakfast. And then, you know, if it's just say, for example, that fruit we were talking about, a large amount of fruit, no protein, no fat, in an hour or two, you're going to be hungry. And it's just going to be, you know, constant cravings throughout the day. A lot of women start out with smoothies. Um, so I guess there's a trick to the smoothies as well. Well, coming from a Chinese medicine perspective, we go, well, it's nice to have something already cooked or warm in the morning um, rather than raw. But, you know, it's uh, what, what would you say as far as do you recommend smoothies in the morning or what type of breakfast generally do you recommend? Smoothies are definitely an option, but you have to be really, really careful about the amount of sugar, even natural sugars that go into them. So sometimes people might blend up, you know, two or three different types of fruit and then some almond milk or maybe some greens. But what that's lacking is protein and fat. And so same problem in an hour or two, you're not going to feel full or even satisfied. And, you know, you're going to want to start snacking. So smoothies can work as long as they have that carb protein fat balance and there's not too much sugar in there. So basically any smoothie from a restaurant is probably going to have too many carbs in it Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, because they use a lot of, you know, sweeteners and things to make it taste sweet. Um, But if you start out with about a cup of fruit and you use a protein base, so for example, plain yogurt has 
lots of protein and it has that probiotic component that everybody needs. And then adds some ground flax seed or chia seeds or hemp seeds and maybe a handful of greens and you've got a pretty well-balanced smoothie that isn't too high in sugar. That's in the end. We've been, um, we actually use CBD oil in our office and, you know, some patients will also put like a little dropper in their smoothie as well, which it adds, you know, all kinds of good hemp, like you said, like it's made from hemp. So, you know, we have the anti-inflammatory effect. It's a good fat and, you know, it's actually... I think it tastes pretty good, actually. (laughs) And you can even put, you know, if you take inositol supplements, you can put that in there. Mm -hmm. Um, It just kind of blends up. Definitely. Yeah. So that's the key is the ratios, right? The right proteins, fats, and then, you know, fruits as well. So to balance out, I guess a good rule of thumb is, do you think like recommending if someone is eating kind of a simple carb to have some protein with that to kind of balance out the blood sugar a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, anytime you have a carbohydrate, you want to make sure that you're not eating it by itself and pairing it with that protein and fat. You know, carbohydrates don't have to be completely off limits for PCOS. It's just that most people don't have much of a tolerance for it. So, you know, maybe half a cup to two thirds of a cup, a meal of some kind of starchy food, like say sweet potatoes, you know, their starches. So half a cup to two thirds of a cup is not much. <laughs> right. That is, yep. So I'm about that portion control too. And thinking about, um, I guess, dividing up your plate into, if you cut it into like a pie, what would you say portion size, you know, you would need for your, you know, proteins and your fruits and veggies and that sort of thing? Yeah. I mean, if you kind of divide your plate up into four sections, one of those sections might be for you know, that carb component that we talked about, because if you completely avoid carbs, again, people might feel hungry, feel unsatisfied, and it's kind of unsustainable. You know, two weeks in, it's like, oh my gosh, I just want some carbs and I'll do anything for it. Right. Your brain is probably craving it too. Like, where's your energy? You know? (laughs) So, you know, people's needs vary depending on how active they are, but just kind Mm -hmm. of as a starting point for somebody with insulin resistance, about half of a cup of carbohydrates and whole food carbs, you know, unprocessed, unrefined, things. Um, and then the other you know, one quarter of your plate would be for some kind of protein food. So if you are doing, um, if you eat meat and fish, you know, about you know, four-ish ounces, three, four ounces for somebody of average height would, would fit there. But if you do plant-based and you're not doing animal protein, then, you know, roughly two thirds of a cup of beans or lentils or something like that to give you some protein. And yeah, for some of our listeners who, uh, who don't know the difference with between process and unprocessed, like how, what is the hallmark of, of that? Uh, if you look at in the grocery store and you're saying, okay, I'm going to try going for all unprocessed foods, you're looking for mainly things that are not in packages or is that mainly what to pay attention to? Um, kind of. I mean, you want to find things that are not pre-made. So you're, when you look at your grocery basket, is it mostly ingredients or is it mostly products? And if you're seeing a lot of products, then that's usually stuff that's pre-made. For example, breads. There are very, very few breads that are that are unprocessed, even if they're whole grain. But Ezekiel bread is doesn't have any added sugars. It's using a sprouted grain, so it's easier to digest and lower on the glycemic index. If you're doing, you know, any fruit or vegetable, of course, that's a whole food. Even potatoes, sweet potatoes, brown rice, quinoa, those are all options if you're following the 
you know, portion size and balance rule that we talked about. And we, we talk about, and we have a, a 90 day uh, PCOS reset program that basically talks about the, um, we, we go into actually reading labels and deciphering labels. And I talk about um, when my kids were little, I used to give them my phone with a little uh, app called Fujicate. And they would just go around anytime they'd ask me for something in the supermarket and say, okay, you have to zap it with the app and let me know what the, what the grade is because that little app is so handy. I find, I don't know if you've used it or you probably have, I'm sure, but uh, it grades your foods, grades A through F. So the process for even the organic, like, you know, uh, foods that advertise being organic, some of them are coming back like D and F and, you know, especially the cereal and stuff. So I think, you know, I told them, okay, if it's below a B, you guys can't put it in the cart. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, and it became a nice game because then also they they started to learn. Wait a minute, this is this is kind of tricking us. Like it says it's good and it's really not good. And the app is pretty cool. Uh, we'll link to it in the show notes, but it actually lists the reasons why it gave it that grade, so that you can see like, wow, there are some things in there that are not so good. And you know, you can actually do that in your pantry too, and just kind of zap away, and I think it's kind of fun. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great idea. And that, you know, makes you start looking at, and a lot of people are already looking at labels and ingredient lists. But, you know, when you look at the ingredient list, sometimes people have other rules, like if it has more than three ingredients or five ingredients and don't eat it. Well, I would just say, look at, look at the names of the ingredients. So is it, is it whole food ingredients that you would cook with at home? Or is it things that you would never be able to find in a grocery store and make a meal with? And so if it's stuff that you don't even know what it is, then of course, not a whole food. <laughs> Definitely. And they can be very tricky. They slide in all kinds of uh, things under different names. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, the whole food industry can be quite, quite tricky. And that's, I, I just, you know, you, you say you work with diabetes too, and we're just, it, it just really um, freaks me out sometimes to see the rate of pre-diabetes that we see in our office and just in, in general in the United States. And, you know, it's, I, I think that it, it's not a hundred percent our fault. We do have the food industry that's actually putting these ingredients in the foods that make you want to eat more, but definitely to be aware of what we're putting in our bodies too. It's so important, especially with PCOS and insulin resistance. So um, I think that that's a huge part of it. And um, so if, if you could basically say if, you know, one thing you've noticed that you wish every woman with PCOS in the world knew, what would it be? You know, don't try to avoid getting into, you know, a, a period of eating as little as possible and restricting yourself so much that it's unsustainable. Mm -hmm. So um, when, we, when we try to use certain restrictive eating patterns, you know, where we're we say, okay, I'm not going to eat any carbs or I'm not going to eat any grains. That's a lot of times the first thing people try. And like I mentioned earlier, sometimes then, you know, they might, they might lose weight and they might um, stick to that for a couple weeks. And if you can stick to it longer, that's fine, but not everybody can. So don't feel bad if you have trouble sticking to that. And if you um, need to include some carbohydrates, that's where the portion and the balance, you know, balancing that out with protein and fat and you know, vegetables and fiber comes into play. Yes, and it's easy to blame yourself too when things are not 
working out, you know, like, why am I not, you know, and it can become like you just give up and that's, that's not good. So, um, I think working with somebody like you who really does guide them, guide you through the process a little easier. Um, I think that's important. And we've actually had women with PCOS too, that are struggling to gain weight. And that's a whole uh, issue with a lot of times they are overlooked saying, okay, well, you must not have PCOS because you're thin. But, yeah. you know, this is the problem. Um, they, they do have insulin resistance, so but yet cannot gain weight. So do you work with women who are also struggling to gain weight? Yeah, I've had quite a few women come in who had um, gestational diabetes when they were pregnant, were not overweight and still are not overweight after having their baby and still struggle with insulin resistance and trying to, you know, find a balance between eating enough, but also controlling our blood sugar and your hormones. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It can be, and it can be just as frustrating to have someone who, you know, also has been struggling to feel good, to have energy and to eat the right things. um, And who might also have IBS or other issues too with food allergies. Um, So there's just, it's, pretty complex. And I don't know if, you know, you use any food sensitivity testing, but uh, some, some people think it's great and others are like, oh, I'm not sure about that. But <laughs> what is your take on that? Well, um, I do have some uh, clients that will bring in, I don't do it in my office, but I have some physicians that refer to me who will do the you know, IgG and IgE testing in their offices. So the, my patients will sometimes bring in the results and you know, I help them figure out what the underlying problem is. So if, if they're, if they don't have any true allergies, but they maybe have some sensitivities, you know, why, why do you have these sensitivities? And we'll take a look at their normal food intake. And a lot of times it's a, you know, a gut health issue. So they may, may have leaky gut or at least just a poor, you know, poor amount of the good microbiome levels in there. Mm-hmm. I didn't say that very well, but they, they mm-hmm. don't have their microbiome optimized. And so us getting to trying to balance out their probiotic intake and increasing their fiber. Sometimes people even have to go on a low FODMAPs diet um, for IBS. So just kind of treating each person as an individual in that situation is important. And that, that is an, and I think the, um, you know, one of the things that we look at is everyone is an individual, right? So it's not a one size fits all approach for many things. And so I think that's where the challenge comes in um, there, you know, when someone's trying to do a detox or uh, kind of, you know, some things that there, it's not going to have a sustained effect uh, for weight or so for insulin balance. And Brian, this comes up a lot, but I was going to ask your opinion about intermittent fasting and what do you see with that? Um, because I know there's different degrees of intermittent fasting and then, you know, also different situations where it might be helpful. But um, what do you use that in your practice and what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely research to support intermittent fasting. But that if you go to the extreme ways of doing intermittent fasting, then that's often what becomes unsustainable. So what I recommend is that you just shoot for a 12-hour fast, and that's something that's sustainable. That can be done every day. Um, it's not It's not making you skip meals and making you feel hungry and have cravings, you know, all morning long while you're trying to wait till noon to eat 
eat, you know, eat your first meal. I'm glad you said that because that's what we, we tell our patients too. Like, hey, you know, seven to seven or eight to eight, you know, something doable. But yeah, uh, that's that's that makes sense. But you know, watching the clock and like skipping breakfast and you know waiting till lunch to eat, I just worry about that. That when it goes over, you know, you're getting to 15, 16 hours of no eating. Uh, just I don't know, and uh, you know, some people go days also without eating. So I kind of, what, what is the boundary there into eating disorder or, you know, (laughs) fasting? So you have to be careful with that, I think. Right. And there's, you know, everybody's different too. And so, for example, if you have a hundred pounds to lose, longer periods of fasting might be okay for you. Mm -hmm. But if you, you know, maybe you don't have much weight to lose or you don't have any weight to lose, that's not really necessary or appropriate or something that you're going to you know, it's, it's not going to set you up for good mental health. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And, and we do see a lot of eating disorders with PCOS. And I think it's for this reason, there's a lot of confusing information and body image comes into it. And then we look at, um, you know, just trying anything and everything. And I, you know, the HCG diet and Atkins and so many things. So I, I think that's where the guidance comes in and so you know this this, and also people that are not eating enough right (laughs) oh yeah i see that a lot too right so is calorie counting something that's even recommended anymore i mean i don't know what do you think about it 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 depends on how you do it so if you know it's not to say that calories don't matter but i would definitely say that the that where your calories come from and when you eat them matters more so, for example, um, you know, I'll see a lot of women, older, particularly older women that do this, they'll eat 1,200 calories a day, and they've been doing that for years and years, and they're still heavier than they want to be. They're not losing weight. They're not overeaters. You know, they do eat low calorie, but they're, it's not getting them where they want to be. And so, when we start looking at where your calories are coming from, are you getting enough protein? Are you getting enough fat? And are you eating three well-balanced meals that are similar in size? That helps a lot. So, for example, if you're eating a tiny breakfast with no protein, a tiny little lunch, and then by the time dinner rolls around, you're really hungry and you eat 800 of your 1,200 calories, that's not going to work because you're going to get a big insulin surge and you know store that excess energy as body fat. Mm, that makes total sense, right? And and also the fact that you know adding. As you get older, I think adding more exercise is kind of a necessity. Like you just can't you can't burn the rate that you were burning before without without some exercise into that equation. I think so. Yeah, um, that's important. And so it's not just calories in, calories out, which is what's so many so many of us have been told that for so long. And it's like if that were that simple, <laughs> then that's a different story. But yes, you know, yeah, nobody would be in this situation. You know, we wouldn't have these obesity rates and things if that was the case because there's a lot of people that are not eating enough calories and if you could think of something that you've noticed that's been a huge help to your clients what would that be i know you talked about avocetol which i like as well i think that's been super helpful for our patients um with fertility, regulating their cycles, even helping with mood uh, and that sort of thing. What would what, you say would be uh, something that, that you know, could really boost somebody's quotient of getting their uh, food on track and, you know, their nutrition and that sort of thing as well for your clients? So many different things. You know, support is important and just having somebody 
to, uh, you know, to follow up with you and to help, to help you along the way is really important because if you do this on your own, sometimes it's, it, you know, if you don't have a variety in your diet and somebody coaching you and saying, okay, you know, let's, let's try some new foods. Let's get some variety in here. You'll get burned out. And so, um, anything you can do to improve variety in your diet and not get burned out and have support is helpful. Ovocetol, you know, there's quite a few studies showing that inositol supplements in a certain dose are helpful in promoting insulin sensitivity and balancing hormones. You know, blood sugar testing is not something that I've mentioned yet, but that's also um, a way to help you figure out what your body can handle. So, I think you've you've mentioned that in one of your podcasts where um, you, you encourage people to figure out, you know, test their blood sugar at home and see what it's running after you eat a meal. And, you know, that helps you figure out, is that a good meal for me to eat or not? Yeah. And it's easy to get the glucometer, I can't talk today, a glucometer at, um, at a drugstore or that sort of thing and try, try it out, right? I mean, I, I, think, mm-hmm. I think... Yeah. And a lot of people don't do that until they actually have diabetes. But if you have PCOS or high insulin levels with, you know, not even a diagnosis of diabetes that you can still be having some high blood sugars and just not know it. So let's say I'm, I'm going to go start testing my, my glucose tomorrow. When I wake up, what is a good range that you like to see for someone who's doing like just a waking glucose? Uh, fasting mm-hmm. you know, within five minutes of waking mm-hmm. should be less than 100 milligrams per deciliter. If you're between 100 and 125, that, you know, most likely means you're you know, possibly pre-diabetic or you have some insulin resistance going on. But then, you know, your post-meal blood sugars are just as important to look at as well. So t- testing one and two hours after a meal occasionally, you don't have to do it all the time. Just do it every once in a while and see what's happening. You know, if you test before you eat, then test one hour and two hours after your first bite. Is your blood sugar spiking up to 200? And if so, then that's that it shouldn't be going that high if you don't have diabetes. Right. And it's great to keep a journal, right? Or keep, keep this information handy. And I think you're, if I were your provider, I would love it if you came to me and said, hey, here's what, this is what I've been doing. Here's my glucose. This is what happens when I wake up. This is after I eat. Here's all my labs that I've gotten, you know, from my providers. I mean, that is just like, you know, wonderful if someone comes in with that yeah. information, yeah. you know, and that doesn't happen often, but uh, if yeah. it does, that's great. And um, if there, if we look at the most, sometimes we have just one glucose or insulin that's been done in the past year. Um, it's kind of hard to tell with one, you know, but we say, well, exactly. maybe, maybe there's a need to repeat it. And a lot of times I'll see that like a hundred or 101 and they're not really even flagging it. And I think that's like, why wait till you have diabetes, right? Why don't we do it now and, and catch this now. Yeah. So, um, so I think this, the, uh, catching it, catching onto this early and trying, like you said, with a glucometer, just, you know, pricking your finger uh, a couple times a day, just to see where you are. And then if you're noticing big swings, then it's time to definitely go to your doctor and, and start on a, with a nutritionist and really try to, you know, get, get ahead of the curve before it gets worse for sure. Yeah. And a lot of people will have normal A1C levels and that A1C is just a lab that measures your blood sugar average over the last three months. So some people will, will even have 
normal or you know slightly pre-diabetic A1C levels, but they're having huge shifts in their blood sugar after meals. They may not be aware of that. And so that's where that blood sugar testing comes in on your own. And your doctor may not prescribe it to you. You may have to you know, pay out of your own pocket to actually get that glucometer. Well, I always say be the squeaky wheel. And I think it's really important with, you know, in general with your own health to just take control and say, this is... I really need to take initiative and do this. So if you're feeling dizzy, sometimes after you eat, if you're feeling, you know, if you do have PCOS and you've never had uh, your glucose tolerance test or any of those things, I think it's important to reach out because these are the new standards that have come up where you should have this kind of test performed and your doctor should be ordering it. If they're not, then yeah, definitely go out and and, you know, hopefully you can get someone to definitely work with you. Um, but in the meantime, as you're waiting to find that provider, um, it's, it's, I don't think there's any harm in checking your, your blood glucose, right? Yeah, that's really good advice. <laughs> and, uh, and so how about if, you know, you could um, just give advice for somebody who needs to lose at least 50 pounds or more, um, where should they start? Um, you know, start with making sure that you are getting a fist size of low starch vegetables every lunch and every dinner. And so, so many people are just not eating enough, you know, enough fiber and enough nutrient dense vegetables to help them get the nutrients they need and also feel full. And so, if you just make that simple adjustment, it's going to help control your, you know, your portion sizes of everything else. And then, you know, of course, everything else we talked about so far by, you know, by adding that protein, adding a little fat to your meal, um, and then keeping your carbs around half of a cup is a good starting point and then customization afterwards, but starting with half a cup of starch each meal, and you've got a really good balance there to help control your hunger. And that's what makes this sustainable because if you start doing really extreme patterns of eating where you're avoiding entire food groups, then, you know, it's not something that you can do until you're 80, like you mentioned earlier. And it's so important uh, to have a big range of things that you, you like to eat too. Um, instead of just sticking, it's kind of like we're creatures of habits. So, okay, we'll stick with one thing and that's what we eat every lunch or every breakfast. And I'm guilty of that myself sometimes with eggs. Well, okay, I'll eat eggs for breakfast because it's, it's got protein, it's fast, you know, but yeah. you run out of ideas sometimes. So it's good to have some extra ideas and cookbooks and you know, yeah, so. and I, I'm glad you said that. You know, sometimes people will they're they're getting really motivated, and they'll say, "Okay, I'm going to make, I'm going to do some meal prep." They cook some chicken, they cook some broccoli, maybe some brown rice, and then they portion it out. And then by the fifth day, they're so sick of that they don't want to even think about it again. So variety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I do yes. have on my website nourishpcs.com. I have a free meal plan just to help you know give you some ideas. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely uh, link to that. And I hope that, um, you know, that I really appreciate you spending time with us today to talk about this. It's such an important topic. And I'm so glad that you're addressing this as well. So uh, thank you guys for listening. And I will see you guys next week. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, you have to check out the PCOS Revolution Academy 90 Day Reset, where we go through all of these topics in an easy to follow, totally online, step by step process so you can stop giving PCOS the upper hand. 
Join me over at thepcosrevolution.com to find out more about how you can sign up and also get access to some very cool freebies that I've created for you. I'd love to have you join me inside of the Academy. See you there and have a wonderful week.